Hello, and welcome to episode 108 of the In Squash podcast. I'm Jerry Gibson, your host. And uh, first of all, it's been about uh, 18 days since our last episode, so apologies uh, for that. And um, yeah, I've just been quite busy at the office, uh, just haven't uh, managed to find the time to fit these in. But we've got uh, a lot of my heavy workload is behind me now, so I can uh, get back focused on this now that the season uh, is uh, in full swing now again. Uh, and we've got episode 108 today with uh, 2017 Canadian National uh, Men's Open Finalist, uh, current ranking in uh, number 90 in the world. He's just finished uh, off two uh, weeks of heavy squash where he won uh, one Challenger Series event and finished in the final in the other. Mike McHugh is my guest, and he's the, uh, the training partner and good friend of, uh, friend of the program, Nick Sackfee. And uh, we're really excited uh, to have him on today, and I know you'll enjoy the chat. Um, we cover quite a bit of ground, especially uh, current stuff that's going on with Mike. And, uh, you know, he's got uh, some big events coming up and a big season coming up for him. Uh, he's got the Canadian Team Trials, which we talk a little bit about uh, coming up now, and that's on the heels of him not having made the Pan Am Games team, which he was uh, a bit disappointed with, uh, with that. And we get into uh, talking about his game, uh, his last few seasons, and several other things. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy this episode 108 with Mike McHugh. Summer training, you're never you know, quite sure just how fit you are, if you've been doing the right kinds of work. But um, I think uh, after getting through a couple of really tough matches in the first two rounds in Santa Fe at very high altitude, um, I managed to win four or five matches in a row three love and even though they're they're all certainly very tough they're all you know 45 50 minute three loves against good opponents it does save your body um, from really having to tap into those extra reserves that can leave you hurting afterwards so I um, even after the final on Sunday after losing to Chris which was I guess my eighth match in about uh, 11 days I, I felt you know re relatively fresh uh, all things considered which is which is good because we have the this week in Toronto, actually starting Thursday, we have the trials for the world team champs for the there remaining three spots on the team. There so, you go. You know, had to be sort of nice to not just be recovering for a couple of days, actually be looking forward to play again. Great. Well, I'm just going to uh, backtrack a little bit. Uh, we've got the world number 90 on, on the podcast. He just reached the final of two uh, Challenger Series events. Uh, he won in uh, Kiva, the Kiva Open, and then got to the final recently in Wakefield. 2017 Canadian national finalist. I forgot to uh, to record that earlier, Mike. So that's why I'm backtracking. It's great to have you on again now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it sounds like a great couple of weeks there. And you've got the Canadian uh, trials coming up. I guess it must have been you know something that you were looking forward to over the summer, maybe to uh, partake in the Pan Am Games. So uh, I guess this uh, this one means uh, a bit more to you to hopefully make the make the team this time around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, not making the, the Pan Am Games team was a major disappointment. That's a, you know, a long-term goal that I think all, you know, everybody who's in contention has been aiming for, 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 you know, at least a full season leading up to it. And unfortunately, with the, the format and the restrictions placed on squash by the actual Pan Am Games organization, where you're only allowed to send three people on the team, whereas usually even if it's a three-person event, you'll have a reserve or a fourth person mm. in case of injury or something. So having the, the, the actual Pan Ams limited to three, and then unfortunately the week of nationals, you know, just a, 
did, didn't really go my way. Lost in the semis to uh, to Nick Zagfe, who went on to win, and then lost the 3-4 match to Andrew Schnell, and that sort of solidified the team to be Nick, Andrew, and, and Sean Delier, and I was just sort of left as, as the odd man out after having a decent season. So it was you know pretty pretty disappointing. I definitely had a dip in motivation after you know the season ended, not making that team. But uh, as you said, you know, once midsummer came around and the, the world teams uh, was looming on the horizon again, I sort of found, uh, you know, re, you know reinvigorated motivation and training, training fairly hard, uh, looking forward to that. And obviously the world teams is probably the, the biggest event in squash along with the individual world championship. And to represent your country at such an event is really one of the highest honors and obviously a lifelong dream for everybody. So to, to make that team again would be just fantastic really after having played two years ago as well. Absolutely. And uh, you know, the squash in Canada on, on, on the men's side, there's a lot of parody there. I mean, you, you, you've got, as you mentioned, Sean Delier, Nick, uh, your good friend, Nick Sackfee, Andrew Snell, who's pro, I yeah. guess he's no longer in the mix, but uh David Ballard-Jean, uh, Cameron Seth. I mean, there are quite a few guys uh, competing for those spots. Uh, I guess for you heading uh, with, with, uh, at the last Nationals event, having to play uh, Andrew, him knowing that it was his last event, uh, that, that was a tough ask for you, uh, having to go up against him under those uh, circumstances, I would imagine. Yeah, it was, you know, and especially the day before as well. So that was the 3-4 the playoff match, which was not, I don't, it wasn't officially, you know, the Pan Am sort of qualifier match, but I think there was a lot riding on it in that regard. And, you know, I'd had a very tough semifinal with Nick the day before and really put, put a lot mentally and physically into that match you know, put myself in a position to win. Um, unfortunately, just couldn't close out in the crucial points. And, you know, I felt felt all right the next day. I felt reasonably motivated. My body still felt fresh enough. But, I mean, Andrew basically just blitzed me in that match. I, I never I really it. got a foothold. He, he beat me three love in about, you know, probably under 40 minutes, which was, you know, that kind of result wouldn't be expected either way when the two of us play. But he just sort of found his targets early, was really aggressive, and as you said, probably personally had a lot riding on that match as well and uh, you know credit to him he, he executed when we both had the opportunity to come through and win and he, he performed much better on the day yeah absolutely uh, and and uh, you know he's one of the fitter guys out there too isn't he so he, he's probably uh, you know not not hurting too much even after the matches he had played uh, prior to to that one no, exactly. He was he was pretty fresh. Yeah, he'd played he'd played Sean in the uh, in the other semis the day before, and they had a bit of a. Uh, my match with Nick was at the same time, so I didn't see much of Andrew and Sean. But it was sort of a choppy kind of uh, up and down uh, mercurial match, and I, I don't yeah. think it was overly physical. Um, I mean, it can be mentally exhausting for sure, but yeah. he was certainly certainly a bit fresher going into it, and uh, you know, it definitely it definitely showed, and he deserved, you know, he absolutely deserved it. So, uh, I guess uh, when you started the season a few weeks back, uh, you would have put in some good summer training, as as you mentioned. Uh, under those circumstances, I guess you you know, after the losses, you, like you said, you might have uh, you know felt a little bit down, but then you dug your heels in and and. Uh, you came out, you've come out more or less uh, on top here with a couple of wins 
well, with a win and, and the finals results. So was that your, your mindset heading uh, into the summer training and uh, just sort of to dig your heels in and uh, maybe work a little bit harder, work on your game and, and uh, move forward rather than kind of dwell on, on what could have been? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, you know, to be honest, at the end of last season, um, not making the, the the Pan Ams team and a few other just general fatigue factors, I was you know, very low on on motivation and, and desire to train and play for, I would say, a good probably four to six weeks after the season finally wrapped up. I, I played a couple uh, further PSA events in South America after the Nationals, so I, my season probably ended at the very maybe around June 1st or so. And, you know, I don't really take that much time off usually before summer training. I, I always, I generally enjoy going into training every day and sort of working hard, but I was, you know, really struggling to find, to find reasons to go in and, and push myself. And I just gave, gave my mind and body a little extra time to, to recover uh, than I normally would so that when the motivation finally came back organically, maybe around sort of mid July, I was, you know, had a lot of, had a lot of effort to give, you know, I topped up all the reserves that you need in in your body to, to do proper training. And also probably at a point in my career now where you're, you're more willing to take on new ideas and experiment Mm -hmm. a bit more with whether it's, uh, fitness training might be doing technical stuff tactical stuff because you've done at this point after having played for so long you've you've done a certain type and a certain amount of work that's gotten you to a specific place and if you keep just hammering those same old habits you're almost certain to get the same results and it's not always the most enjoyable thing you know repeating the exact same training routine month after month year after year so probably tried a few more you know experimental ideas over the summer changing some things technically and tactically and not all of them will stick you know some of them get left at the side of the road some of them just don't suit your game but I was definitely a bit more took maybe a more relaxed approach to training over the summer and tried to actually take a few more risks and implement some new ideas and then see where it gets you because it's not as if I really had anything to lose anymore you know Mm. if you're going to hang out around 80 to 100 in the world rankings you, you might as well at least try yeah. some new ideas or a new approach to see if you can separate yourself from that level um, as opposed to just being complacent with it yeah for sure and uh, now a couple I guess it would would be about two years now that uh, Martin Heat's come into the picture for squash Canada and I'm mm-hmm. um, just wondering uh, you know with him having him on the scene that might have if that may also breathe a bit of new life into your training into your game into your uh, your mindset uh, as a player because uh, I mean I like you I'll get to this later but you're uh, one of your idols growing up obviously Jonathan Power and uh, you know he came up in that Honestly. generation and was one of the, the the top players during that time known for uh, sort of his experimental uh, side of his game and his technical side as well what a great player he was so just wondering what impact he's had on you over uh, the last couple of years since he's taken on uh, that role with squash canada yeah it's been fantastic having because you know and it's also someone we'd never worked with before so it's a completely you know it was the first time we got on court with martin it was you know a blank slate and i didn't know what sort of um, fundamentals or basic sort of pillars of teaching he was going to come out with 
he'd seen all of us play a little bit and had some ideas about our strengths and weaknesses. And it was interesting getting on court with someone who's, who's played at that level because they can identify, you know, the little bottlenecks in your game or what's really, what just truly limiting you from playing at a higher level within a couple minutes of just doing basic drills. Mm. You know, the show they've seen so many different swings, so many different players, and they understand having done it themselves at such an extremely high level that, you know, they can pick out even just minor little physical or technical, tactical limitations and pretty pretty much put it to you straight. You know, this is what needs to improve. Otherwise, you're only, you're going to stagnate and you're never going to be able to get above a certain standard of play. Mm. You can work on all the other peripheral stuff, but if you don't address these few specific concerns, and there's going to be different issues for everyone, but Martin's very good at, and it's certainly, you know, it's in a constructive way. I mean, it's not just, it's not critical. He's very positive about everything, oh, yeah. very yeah. encouraging. And he's great at, um, you know, sort of framing things for you in a very, he puts the problem to you in a way that it can be solved. And as regards his approach to the game specifically, he's got a very good tactical structure. You know, he teaches a certain set of fundamentals or, you know, principles, I guess he calls them, of winning squash, where you sort of, each rally you're building, you know, different, different layers tactically creating pressure by achieving certain objectives with your shots and with your shot choices. And it can give you quite a, a structured approach to how you want to play the game as opposed to just sort of going out there and thinking, all right, I'm going to hit the ball tight. I'm going to run hard. I'm going to try and beat my opponent with this shot. Actually having a bit more of a regimented idea of what, what you're doing on court is very helpful in tense match play situations where, it's easy to become result oriented in your mind through over the course of a match as opposed to as opposed to tactical and process oriented so i've definitely really enjoyed working with him and he has some pretty you know you might say unorthodox or unique mm. tactical or sorry technical approaches or certain ways of uh spinning the ball certain ways of holding the racket well um, he's no he, he was known for you know he never had a coach really per se when he was on tour he he basically coached exactly. himself and i think it was his brother who may have uh, uh was in his ear a little bit but he he sort of went about it his own way and he's i guess he's that's the way he with the with that he he brings that to uh what he does with you guys. No, that's exactly it. And that's, you know, he's got a very, you know, a unique and sort of a, a problem solving approach to the game, you know, as mm. opposed to um, the other, you know, some people think of, of building the game sort of from the ground up where you have to have a very specific technique and a very specific way of moving to the T and back to the T and you should really look a certain way. I think Martin's approach is a little bit more practical where he's saying, okay, this is what needs to get done. This is where I need to put the ball. This is where my opponent's standing. This is where I'm standing. How do we get that done? And then you experiment with different ways of holding the racket, different ways of, you know, following through different ways of positioning your feet to see what it takes to, to achieve that objective. And I sort of like that um, very, uh, you know, curious and uh, open-minded way of thinking about the game. So it's definitely was, been, you know, refreshing to get a, his new perspective on, on squash for certain. Definitely. And uh, uh, a guy that you've spent a lot of time on court with over the years and uh, someone who I've, sp I've spoken to, have been lucky to speak to a couple of times on my podcast, uh, big Nick Sackfi. I mean, you, you've been training with him for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I uh, personally, uh, you know, 
Uh, I've seen him play a lot over the last couple of years. And, uh, I mean, his game really, I thought, really took off last year. He really played well. Um, just talk about what it's been like uh, working with him o- over the last few years. Uh, I know you guys are good friends, and uh, he seems like a free spirit and, and such a good guy to, uh, to, to be around and to train with. So what's it been like uh, working with, with, uh, with Nick over the last few years, and how have you helped each other uh, as players on fledgling, I guess, sort of in that ranking around 100 to 70 in the world? No, I mean, it, it's fantastic. You know, we've, as you said, we've been on court. I mean, we hit just as we're talking right now, we've already done a session this morning and we're okay. playing each other in a exhibition match tonight at the TAC, our, our home club downtown, the Toronto Athletic Club. And okay. yeah, that's pretty typical, like being on court multiple times a day with each other. Um, and it, it, it's good because, you know, Nick is such a, such a great, you know, physical athlete to begin with that, yeah. you know, he's, he's always for the most part moving well. He's always um, feeling pretty, pretty keen physically. He's always happy to run around and do a hard session regardless of, you know, morning, afternoon, whether we've had a tough day the day before, he's always, he's always pretty up for it physically, which is, uh, you know, surprisingly not always the case when you're training, even with other fantastic players. Sometimes the, um, you know, the physical intensity is, is, is surprisingly low at times. But yeah. uh, we, we get along well too. You know, we're very competitive with each other, but it never it's never, you know, becomes, uh, oh, oh, you know, angry or, or toxic. <laughs> no. It's not, nobody's really trying to protect their ego in a, you know, you're playing a condition game to 11 points and guys start cheating at nine all. And it's like, is that really what we're yeah. here for? No, no exactly. Like yeah. you, so we find a pretty good balance of, of, of being competitive with each other and, and pushing the pace. And yeah, he, he usually gets, <laughs> he's been getting the better of me at competitive matches. He usually gets the better of me in practice as well, but, um, it's, uh, it's been great to have someone who's, you know, reliable, um, to show up day in, day out, um, works hard. We are great friends. We spend a lot of time together off court as well. And, um, you know, it would be, I think we both would agree that it would be nice if there were a couple other players based in Toronto full time, you know, of a similar level or perhaps slightly stronger just for that, you know, variety and in, in match play and, and being able to, get some different looks and, you know, uh, have to read the game a bit differently and, and just for some to mix it up occasionally. But, uh, you know, considering the amount of time we've, we've, we've spent on court together and the amount of time in the gym, you know, our training is still pretty stimulating and, and pretty fresh. So yeah. it's, it's great to have someone of a, you know, relatively similar mindset that lives just down the road. Um, and, you know, we travel to tournaments together, share rooms together all the time. And, uh, you know, so, still, so are you, uh, are you a big, uh, MMA guy as well? Uh, Mike, are you big into the MMA? I'm not. Well? I mean, I know he likes to, he follows it. And Every he, time he uh, we, like brings when, I, when I have him on the podcast, we end up talking about uh, UFC uh, for 90% of it. I know he, he, he loves the UFC stuff. I mean, I, you know, I dabble in it a little bit, but I mean, he's, yeah. uh, he knows, you know, like all the weight classes, the contenders, the upcoming bouts and I'll yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, go out and watch the odd fight night or something. But uh, <laughs> we talk a lot about, you know, NBA, NFL, a little right. bit of hockey here and there. He loves yeah. his, his other fantasy sports too. So that's the, well, you're, you're, I saw on your Twitter, you're, you're, I mean, obviously uh, all of Canada got behind, behind, behind the Raptors last year, but the, you're, you're a big Raptors guy, aren't you? 
Oh yeah, I mean I've been uh, you know my my whole life really been a, a huge Raptors fan. Uh, my you know when I my dad went to the first ever Raptors game in 1995 at the Skydome. Okay, so, was that when was, sort of was Vince Carter on the team back then? No, he was drafted. He may have been drafted. I, I think either in in '98 or '99 um, okay. when they traded for him at the draft. So they had like. Damon Stoudemire was oh, the right, first right, draft right, pick, yeah, and they yeah. had Tracy McGrady at the top. Of but they were, I mean, yeah, Tracy they, they McGrady, were man, played at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then him, he was like Vince's cousin. Yeah, so those guys, you know, they only ended up playing together. I think it was maybe two years before T Mac left, but that was, you know, so at the time I was maybe six or seven years old, and I remember even back then, like going to a ton of coming down to Toronto for the weekend, going to games, following them in the playoffs, and then it got obviously a little bit dark for the throughout the aughts. I mean, they really struggled from 2001 to 2012. But, you know, since then with the Kyle Lowry and DeMar era, uh, you know, and all the playoff disappointment. And then obviously last year was, was incredible. So yeah, I didn't, you know, I was away for most of the playoff run. I was like in South America for a couple of weeks during the second and third round. And then I was, um, I think I was in Bermuda for a bit during the finals, but uh, I actually was lucky enough to go to one of the finals games with my oh, dad, which was oh, really great. cool. I mean, that's a life that we went to game two, which is you know, the, the game they lost at home. But yeah, that, that was the I game mean, where, where Drake, uh, Drake uh, got a bit dramatic, wasn't it? It was. Is that the one where like he started massaging the coach? I can't remember. Actually, it's hard when you're at the game. You don't really see that stuff as much. You know, it's like yeah. I think it's highlight. There's so much. There was so much chaos at the game. It was such another level of uh, intensity. But I think that was the game where he kind of got into it with uh, Draymond and Clay Thompson after right. the final whistle. I mean, some of that stuff might be a little bit staged, but you know, it got got people even more interested. And then, obviously, yeah, when they when they won game six i mean uh, didn't didn't really know what to do with myself but uh, it <laughs> no, was, exactly. uh, you know it's yeah. uh just a, basketball is just a great sport to follow right now and there's you know it's another oh, yeah. sport where there are so many canadians because of that vince carter era there are probably 25 canadians in the nba now where there used to be maybe three or four at any given Definitely. time so it's awesome well uh, let's get back to to squash yeah. just a bit here um now in the in your last event uh, i guess it was the final might've been yesterday or the day before you played uh, Chris Gordon in the final guy that you've played a couple of times. Uh, You've had mixed results. You've beaten him and you've lost to him. But uh, I mean, talking about Martin Heath, he's probably been around long enough to have played him when Martin was on, on his way out the door. Uh, He's one of the sort of elder statesmen on tour. Um, What, what's it like? uh, What, what is it about about Chris's game? Cause he gives everybody trouble regardless of, of their ranking. I think, and, uh, you know, given his uh, longevity in the game and his difficulty as a guy to play, uh, how would you uh, assess his game and what makes it so difficult to play him sometimes? I mean, yeah, he plays, uh, I mean, for, you know, first of all, he's probably about six foot, you know, I'm guessing at least six, three, maybe six, four. And, you know, a lot of the basis of his game is to try and take up as much space in the middle of the court as possible <laughs> yeah. using his massive wingspan and full reach. And it, it's with, it's within the rules. I mean, he's, oh, yeah. you know, it's not the, uh, it's not the dirty kind of blocking you see from, from some people where they're, you know, throwing hip checks. He just takes a lot of space and he sort of plays at 
a fairly slow pace waiting for that first, he'll chip you up and down the backhand wall waiting for that first loose ball. And then as soon as the ball comes out loose, a lot of times instead of kind of stepping forward and playing the volley, like most guys will, his first movement is almost backwards to sort of keep you in an awkward position, not let you get back to the tee. And it can create some like weird movement patterns where you're having to run all the way around him or he's running all the way around you. And he plays a really tactical game where if the rally starts to get a little bit chaotic, he's always looking to reset with a straight lob or maybe a cross court lob from the front. So you're always having to sort of, create the pressure yourself, keep him under pressure for a few shots and then do it all over again once he resets. And, um, you know, he, he plays such a, um, a disciplined game that he doesn't really give you a huge number of opportunities um, unless you've earned them. And he's uh, also a great athlete. You know, he was moving yeah. really well the entire week that we were in Virginia just now, even from the first round. So, I mean, that says a lot a- for a guy uh, for a guy his age. I think he's got to be in his mid thirties. Uh, I could be wrong, but, probably 34, 35 almost yeah. even now. And yeah, I mean, for a guy had, his age to be able to, season. yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's had a few injury problems last year. I remember, I think it may even, you know, be going on two years now that he's been dealing with, you know, some sort of, I'm not exactly sure what the issue is, but he's, he's certainly been, you know, not at his best for, for extended periods, but you know, just a guy with that much experience who has, you know, six to seven years ago was playing in the, all the world series events, getting on the glass court regularly against top 20 players. Um, the amount of, you know, knowledge that sort of imbues in you is, I mean, you, you never lose that. Even if it's five, six years later, that, that experience is counting for a lot now. And on days, you know, when, when his body's firing and he's moving well and, and keeping the ball tight, it becomes quite difficult to, to win points, especially on a, a lively court, which was where the conditions we were playing in, in, in Wakefield. So, okay. yeah, he, you know, for the majority of the match, definitely outplayed me on Sunday. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you're coming off of another tournament where you played four or five matches there, so you must have been uh, must have been feeling it a, a little bit there. It was, in, I mean, in, yes and no. I mean, in, in some ways, you know, if, if you're playing multiple tournament matches in a row, if they are three love wins, is almost less of a physical load than a lot of the training that you probably do day to day yeah i mean of course sometimes you know if you have a a mammoth 90 minute battle in one of the opening rounds you know that really puts you behind the eight ball for the rest of the event and you might not be able to back it up the next day but i think that if you're if you're playing matches that are sort of under 60 minutes and you're not doing a crazy amount of, of of work in those matches or much more work than your opponent then you know i actually i gotta say i felt fairly fresh going into that final and and those matches build in a different type of fitness you know it's not necessarily mm. the aerobic or anaerobic work specifically you might do off court but it's you know the most practical kind of fitness that you need which is you know you know being sharp mentally and physically for actual matches and being able to put in big pushes at eight all or nine all or to know when it's time to you know really dig deep physically and uh a lot of the a lot of the actual sort of competitive side of things as opposed to you know purely just physicality so you know i if anything felt better as the tour of two events went on towards the end of it i was really struggling in the first couple of rounds at the Kiva Club, my first matches of the season yeah, they, they went five games didn't they you had a couple of uh 
couple yeah, of three two matches. Two battle five gamers yeah. played a couple altitude specialists, and it's just a, <laughs> it's a completely different sport almost tactically. Yeah. It's closer yeah. to playing hardball squash in terms of the effective tactics when you're that high up, and also it's there's no oxygen. I mean, it's just exhausting. I felt like you know you feel like at times you, your heart might explode or you might just pass out or something it's a completely wow. different fatigue than you get at sea level so that was that was pretty brutal to to begin with yeah i guess that would have taken maybe it's one of those things where you know after two or three matches your your lungs sort of expand enough to adjust to the, the conditions or or was it something that you really didn't uh, overcome you just managed it's- to it's kind of interesting. I think the, the, there's like a, this scientific thought on it is that you probably need to be at a certain level of elevation for a couple of weeks to really fully adjust. So I showed up about four days before the start of the tournament. Um, right. Because, you know, it's not always practical to go, you know, three weeks early. It's never practical. No, no. But I thought maybe four days will be enough and at least you'll blow out your legs and lungs a few times and, and get a sense of it. But, you know, I, I had three good days of training but it didn't really prepare me at all for that first hard rally in a match when you're playing someone who, who's familiar with those conditions and yeah. who knows how to move and how to, and they're probably that's, that's exactly what they wanted to do to you as well as get you, uh, you know, you know, uh, utilize the, utilize the, that the circumstances against you, uh, in that way. No, totally. And, you know, you're playing your like I was, you know, favored. I was the number one seed in that tournament. And, you know, there's quite a bit of, there's always a bit of pressure, especially in the early rounds to, you know, to live up to that billing. And, you know, the, the, the two are so deep these days that even the guys who are ranked in the two and three hundreds, um, you know, on their day can certainly play at an extremely high level and yeah. they have nothing to lose when they're playing someone ranked, you know, a couple hundred spots higher. And, you know, they have the ability to, to chase the ball down. They have the ability to hit winners. They can, you know, keep the ball tight up and down the side wall. So it's not as if they're just going to, you know, capitulate and hand you the match because you're favored. Um, so that was, uh, it was definitely really tough. And, you know, if, if anything, it, it got slightly easier as the tournament went on, but uh, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't say I felt a hundred percent comfortable <laughs> at any point. I think you no. need to be there for yeah three weeks or maybe a month to let to, to, you know, really properly adjust, but it is great training at the same time. When you come back down to sea level, even after being there for just a week, you, you feel like, you know, you feel like a beast. Run all day. So maybe it's well, a, you know, a little bit of a temporary slash placebo effect, but uh, I felt, yeah. I felt good running around last week anyway. That's brilliant. Uh, well, it bodes well for, for the uh, team trials coming up, hopefully. Now, now Mike, um, now recently, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I had my 100th episode and I managed to land uh, my idol uh, and many Canadian squash players, idol, regardless awesome. of your age, uh, Jonathan Power on the podcast. And uh, you grew up uh, also idolizing him uh, along with uh, Graham Riding. Two guys who really uh, and truly uh, raised the bar for for squash Canada in terms of global, you know, perspective. So, what did these two guys uh, mean to you, uh, particularly Jonathan, but also Graham? Uh, how did uh, what did they mean to you, and how did they impact you uh, personally uh, as as a player? 
Well, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just it's unbelievable. You know, when I was sort of when I was just starting to pick up the game about 10 or 11 years old, which was in the early to mid 2000s, um, Jonathan was having sort of the resurgence at the end of his career mm. where, he, you know, he got back to number one in the world. And um, at that time, uh, growing up in Sudbury, I hadn't really seen much of a high level of squash played, you know, in person before. So I was always spending a lot of time going on YouTube, which was very limited back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and the old before like PSA live TV, which, you know, yeah, Sean Delier's dad TV. put together those videos uh, or CDs. Yeah, know, exactly. Those, he would yeah. do these like, you know, and then you might get one for Christmas or something. I would like download the free previews because I didn't, you know, obviously didn't have money. It was 12, you know, didn't have money to buy the DVDs. I'd watch like the same one minute clip over and over again, <laughs> but it was yeah. just, you know, it was even, even back then with a limited knowledge and exposure to squash, Jonathan was, you know, the, the, the king of the game. I mean, oh, he, yeah. Yeah. his personality, the style that he played really revolutionized squash in general. And it was, mm fantastic to see a you know a true you know homegrown canadian guy who you know said i'm gonna do this my own way i'm gonna play differently than the english do i'm gonna play different than the australians i'm gonna come up with a completely new style and it was just so like fantastically entertaining to watch um his personality off court was you know it was very cool yeah. too and i, I remember the there's first no one like him the, yeah. in 2000 <laughs> there's no one like him and i remember they had the um the Canadian Nationals in 2005, they put up a glass court in the CBC atrium downtown Toronto, which was like an incredible venue. I mean, at the time, I didn't appreciate just how amazing that was. But anyway, I came down with um, my dad and a couple others, and we went to the semifinals um, of the men's and women's open event on, on the Friday night. And it was a fantastic setup. And first, Jonathan was... Um, he probably would have been, you know, close to top four at the time. I know he sort of um, fluctuated a little bit, but this was when he was on his way back to number one. And he went on, I'm pretty sure he played Matt Jufri, um, who was like top 40 in the world himself. And Jonathan went on and just absolutely annihilated Matt, um, you know, as he did to pretty much every Canadian every time they played. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, this is, you know, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this, anything close to that in my life, that level of play, of course. Yeah. And it was unbelievably inspiring. I went and bought his racket right away. Well, my dad bought me the, his the racket. Dunlop hot melt. Dunlop, you know, booth, <laughs> the yellow and black one with like oh, a really yeah, small yeah. head. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, and also too, as you know, as you said, uh, uh, Graham um, played Shahir Razik in the other semifinal, and yeah. that one was a little bit more attritional. It was a long mm -hmm. match, but just to see those guys who were, you know, Canadians out there fighting uh, at the world level, you know, coming from a country that you know didn't have the same amount of resources um, being poured into it as places like England or Australia, or, you know, maybe. Um, other you know powerful nations at the time in squash it was amazing and then obviously getting the chance to work with Jonathan at his club at the um, National Squash Academy which opened five or six years later when I was in my late teens was I mean it was just unbelievable complete oh, yeah. you know, dream come true to yeah. get to spend so much time on court with them and, and learn the game from him yeah. was was amazing and he's still I would say to this day you know my, my favorite player to watch if you oh, queue up sure. some old videos yeah. it's certainly I love I like watching play. the old ones I, I, there's one in particular that I, that I watch a lot it's the uh, Hong Kong Open semifinal 
think it's 1997 or 98. He's playing Simon Park. Yeah, he's very young at the time. Oh, yeah. and, and, and to me, like that at that time, that's just after uh, he'd beaten Jancher and uh, he was beating Peter Nickel quite right, a bit right. at that time. And uh, I think that's probably the, the best squash that he, he'd ever played was right then. And he was so... He was very cocky uh, and very confident, uh, even more than, than he was later on. He was more sort of uh, polished, but uh, uh, really good stuff to watch. I don't know if you saw if you've He's seen quite, that one. Quite a, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely I've, I've seen I've seen probably every squash video on YouTube about ten times. But yeah. <laughs> uh, he, it's just you know his, his approach to the game was so interesting. Where you know yeah. until even you know Jancher was sort of began playing that very attacking kind of squash and and you know obviously Brett Martin at the time as well was an amazing shot maker and Jonathan. I think probably would, you know, admit that he, he learned from those guys and copied elements of their game. But, you know, the approach that he brought of playing with that extreme physical aggression and intensity and trying to hit, you know, from the very first rally, trying to basically take the match by the throat and put your opponent under as yeah. much pressure as possible with the most aggressive well, he, choices. The way he described it was uh, when I had him on, he said, you know, everyone was playing like four or five shots uh, deep, one shot short. He, yeah. he chose to turn that on its head and he'd play four shots short, one shot deep. <laughs> and that, that was basically uh, uh, his, uh, his way, of, his squash, how, what he brought to the game and how he changed it. Uh, yeah, that, exactly. That, he would, yeah. you know, get that, he'd get that first loose ball at the front of the court in the first rally of the first game. The ball is absolutely boiling hot. And <laughs> most people in the world would never have the courage to try and take that ball short. And they just hold and whack it cross court like everyone else does. And he would play the drop. It wouldn't necessarily be perfect, but the fact that he'd shown the drop shot that he would could and would play it every other time throughout the match who drags his opponent a little bit further up the court so that, as you say, when he reverses the pattern and hits a simple straight drive to the back, you know, the guy's nowhere to be seen. His legs are buckled yeah. on the tee. And his yeah, yeah. You know, use of deception around the middle of the court and at the front was just like, I mean, spectacular. And nobody will ever be able to truly, I think, reach, copy that style of play. Everyone tries a little bit and people have glimpses of it here and there, but a uh, completely unique player. And it's just like, you know, it really makes you feel proud to, to be Canadian, to know that somebody managed to, you know, come out of our yeah. country and, and do it his own way and be the best player in the world for, you know, at several different points over the course of a decade is incredible. For sure. For sure. And, and he went out on his own terms. He went out as number one in the world. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, yeah, I mean, fair, fair play to him. You know, maybe he sent. Yeah, he sensed that. Uh, you know, I'm on top. I can't possibly get any higher than that. And yeah. I remember the day he retired. Yeah, he would lost to Nick Matthew a couple nights before in the TOC, and the new rankings came out on the first of the month. And he said, "All right, I'm done. Fair enough." You know, there was. A, <laughs> I think that that's part of what kept the mystique about him. You know, because he he didn't have that gradual you know fade into the sunset. It was it fit his personality perfectly. I think. Absolutely. Now, uh, now you reached the uh, the final of the Canadian Nationals in 2017, only to lose. I think it was to to your buddy, uh, to to Big Nick there yeah. in, in the final. Now, uh, what would it mean to you though to to take that one step further to to win the Nationals uh, uh, this year or or one of these years? Uh, what would that mean to you? 
Yeah, it would be, you know, absolutely fantastic. You know, some, you know, the Nationals always really mean a lot in, you know, Canadian squash. There are certain countries where, for whatever reason, you know, their Nationals every year don't seem to be quite as, as meaningful. And what I'd, that could be for a number of reasons. But, you know, the, the Canadian Nationals are always at the end of the season. There's always a great buzz around the event. The best players always play. Um, and everybody's peaking for it. You know, it's never yeah. – it's, it's, it's a primary focus event in your season. And, you know, to, to as you say, to potentially win that even just one time and be able to say that, you know, you were – Canadian champion you're the best player in Canada for for this season would be you know just a, a amazing honor definitely something you never thought possible to achieve you know when you were younger you know working your way up through the ranks and seeing guys like Jonathan and Graham and Shahir win not that we're close to their level of play globally but to get your name on the trophy so to speak um, you know would be would just be ab absolutely fantastic and yeah, making the final um, 2017 was was yeah. a great achievement. I was pretty gassed by the time I played both Schnell brothers to get there, which you know took a <laughs> hell of a lot out of me. Yeah, yeah. And, and Nick was it was like two 90 minute matches in a row, and uh, Nick was playing. He was licking his chops at that time. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't have been happier about it. I mean, uh, yeah, he I think you know he beat Sean pretty comfortably three love in the semifinal and you know the next day he was just like bouncing around an hour yeah. before the match and i was you know just sort of getting out of bed at the time that's his yeah, to, that's his game fun, isn't it? he's yeah. just so so intense and so uh, so much it's all pressure isn't it and when he's bouncing around like so that, physical yeah. and like yeah exactly and that's when you know the, the days when i think when nick's playing well he he sort of tempers that physical aggression with a bit more of a calculated tactical approach you know like when he's moving extremely well getting on the ball early and then actually taking a little bit of pace off the next shot and hitting a dying length instead of just cranking the ball cross court which he you know has the capability to do very well but you know when he's when he it's almost you know, I think he, he tries to emulate the, the Golche style a little bit where they're so yeah. physical, but not yeah. necessarily hitting the ball that hard all the time and just playing very much within themselves. Um, that's definitely when he's when he's at his best, when I've seen when I've seen him have his best results and been on court with him. But uh, yeah, that was uh, he was certainly playing well that week. So the final was you know, it was a bit of a chopping, but just to, just to be in the national final, definitely one of my best, you know, probably one of my top five, you know, squash memories of my career so far. That was a, that was a great day. I mean, it got kind of ruined because I was drug tested right afterwards and missed the entire banquet and was sort of like oh, no. alone in a room with the, the drug today. That's a lot of times they'll show up at the nationals because it's, you know, such a, squash canada event with dates determined well in advance and everything yeah. so they'll come up i remember somebody coming up to me like literally right after the final ended sort of tapping you on the shoulder you've been selected for drug testing and uh, you basically you know they, they essentially shadow you until you can provide them with a sample as they put it um, right. and it took you know obviously after you've just been sweating on court for an hour you don't have a lot no. of fluids in your body so it was it was quite a long wait and that put a bit of a dampener on the evening but uh, that's too bad you, know, you, you think they'd be a bit experience. more tactful uh, uh with that <laughs> it's the exact opposite i mean they have you know they have more sort of yeah, they're not too worried about how you feel i guess are they the airport <laughs> yeah no, they, I had another, um, I got tested this year at the Nationals as well after the first round, which was a little more sensible. And yeah. um, 
yeah, I think we were probably waiting for about three and a half, four hours before they, before I was finally all finished up and provided the sample they needed and, uh, you know, ready to go at the end. So you're just sitting in a squat, a dark squash club in a, you know, a room somewhere with these couple of chaperones who are watching you. And it's, you know, obviously very awkward, um, <laughs> yeah. not the way you want to spend your, spend your evening, but they're, uh, they're, they're quite businesslike about it. There's not a lot of laughs being had. That's for sure. No. Well, hopefully, uh, I mean, you know, getting back to your nationals, I, uh, you know, hopefully over the next few years, you can do one better uh, than 2017. Now you've had, uh, over the last couple of years anyways, you've had some really, I, w- I would say, promising results o- over some good players on tour. Uh, guys like Christopher Benny, Charles uh, Sharps, uh, Joel Macon, Andrew Douglas, and one match in particular at the Canada Cup where you were up to love against uh, Diego Elias and uh, you know that was a classic match it's I think some of it it might even be on YouTube but uh, you know given those results uh, and then also given you know the losses that you've had as well um, what do you think you need to do in order to to sort of get yourself into a position maybe where you you know potentially maybe maybe your goal is top 50 in the world or something like that what what would you need to do to make the adjustments in your game to to win those matches more consistently? I think probably, you know, recently the squash wise, anyway, the, the biggest thing that I've started to notice is just a little bit of, you know, inconsistency with sticking to a tactical plan. You know, a lot of the matches where I've had the, those good results, you know, some of the ones you mentioned or where I've managed to, uh, you know, have, have a good close run with a much higher ranked player. Um, I've, I think I've gone in with a, a very defined idea of what I want to do tactically and certain objectives of, of, of positions you want to create for yourself on the court, maybe certain things you want to avoid doing against a specific opponent and, and really sticking with them. And early on in the match, not worrying too much about the outcome of a rally, whether you clip a tin or hit a nick or marginal things like that but more sticking to a plan that's likely going to pay off over the course of, you know, 50 to 80 minutes, you know, four hard games or five hard games. And I think some of the times where I've had slightly mediocre results or very disappointing ones um, have been matches where I've gone out with a little bit of a lack of purpose and Mm. just sort of not necessarily hit the ball and run headlessly, but maybe played unintelligent squash, played into my opponent's strengths, um, taken – too many risks or taking too few risks. And if I were to look back on it, I wouldn't really be able to say, this is what I was trying to do in that match specifically. I was really trying to hit the ball tight on the backhand side and then look for the volley drop or whatever. It was a little bit of just random squash. So I really try to, you know, go, go in with a bit more of a specific plan and that varies from match to match, but have a three or four key things you're trying to achieve rally in, rally out. And then that gives you a bit more of a base to work from over the course of the match. Well, uh, I mean, you were, like I mentioned uh, just a few seconds ago, you were two games up on uh, Diego and uh, I saw that match and towards the end, it looked uh, looked a little bit like you, you'd run out of gas uh, at, at, in the fifth, but what was it oh, in that absolutely. game that enabled you to, um, you know, to do what you had to do uh, and go to love up? that's the type of squash that uh, probably uh, you need to be playing all the time, isn't it? 
No, for sure. I mean, you know, in, in fairness to Diego, I know at that time he was sort of dealing with slash just coming off that hamstring problem he'd been having right. around early 2018. And um, I mean, you know, he's obviously if you you get on court to play the match, you're agreeing that you're fully fit to play, whether you may have a little niggle here or there. But he was, you know, I have the utmost respect for Diego's game. And, uh, you know, I do realize he's a far superior player to me. But on that day, it did come quite close. And I think probably in that match, just being having no expectation of any result. I mean, really, my only goal was to not get embarrassed in front of the home crowd because that was at the Toronto Athletic Club, actually. Right. And uh, all the people who sort of see us train every day and finally got to see a real match and you're playing a top 10 player in the world. It was quite intimidating. <laughs> world but junior champion. Being, being world junior champion. I mean, he'd beaten, even by then, he'd probably beaten almost everybody once. You know, maybe not quite, but he'd beaten almost everyone in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I know I really have a particular respect for the way he plays squash. He's fantastic. And um, maybe because of that, I, I sort of got into a, the mindset of a higher-ranked player for the day. And I was thinking, all right, what do I need to do tactically to not get absolutely hammered here and be feeding him the ball in the middle <laughs> of the court? And yeah. it, it worked out quite well. And I, I happened to also be hitting the ball well, moving well on the day. And he was, he was struggling a little bit. And I remember there was a point in that match where, yeah, I was up to love. And I want to say the third game was possibly six all or maybe seven all and I hit um, a bit of a lucky sort of cheeky winner from the back and I thought to myself like, wow I might actually pull this off this would be a ridiculous upset and um, <laughs> I didn't get ahead of myself really because it, was, it still hadn't occurred to me but from that point forward I mean credit to him he really started turning the screws on me with pressure gluing yeah. the ball to the wall even though he was maybe a bit limited physically on the day his skill set is so varied that he yeah, was yeah. able to you know play in a way that gave me absolutely no options and the next 45 minutes of my life was you know pretty pretty damn painful <laughs> and i <laughs> yeah, could feel it yeah. could feel it slipping away and the fifth game wasn't really close but uh yeah that's definitely would have been you know would have been one to tell your grandkids about someday if you managed to to pull it off but absolutely um, well he yeah, i mean it, he's it, got it's, he's it's had jp in his corner since he was uh like 13, 12, 13 years old, hasn't it? I remember him coming over. So when the, the NSA, like J, JP's club in, in Downsview Park in Toronto was was open, uh, maybe this would have been around sort of 2011 or so. I remember Diego was, I think he's maybe four years younger than me. So he was 14. I would have been 18. And he came over before the Canadian and U.S. Junior Open, which is in December, um, to do a little bit of training. And he'd already been somehow put in touch with JP or, you know, they were acquainted by then. And uh, I remember doing some drills with him when he was like 14. And I'm thinking, you know, at the time you're 18, you think that's a you know massive difference in age and probably skill level. And he was, you know, beating me in some practice games and generally just clearly a far superior player already at that age. And, I've, you know, at the time, you're pretty annoyed by it. But then as <laughs> yeah. I, I spent a fair bit of time with him in Toronto when he would come and visit and you start to realize like, okay, this guy's just a, a special, unique talent that is on a different trajectory than the rest of us with his career. And, you know, basically yeah. after that, just tried to, to learn from him. And, you know, I remember quite a few times being lucky enough to get on court with him and JP at the same time, doing yeah. threes with those guys. You know, yeah. I'm obviously 
one of those things is not like the other. And uh, <laughs> just to be on, to be on with them was like such a great experience for, you know, for me at the time. And I really made the most of it. Yeah. I like why uh, I even watched a, a little bit of JP's uh, seen the, the masters tournament or the senior pro event that they had. I mean, he doesn't yeah. move well uh, at all right now, but I mean, just what he can do with the racket, it's almost like even more incredible than when he was playing professionally. Cause it's, it's just that much oh, longer into the game. I mean, he's so, I mean, and part of it when he's thinking, you know, he, he, he wasn't overly fond of, you know, chasing the ball around even when he was, you know, at his peak of physicality. So yeah. he really doesn't want to go, you know, chasing it around now. So when he gets, uh, <laughs> you know, when the ball comes loose yeah. in the middle of the court, he is not letting you go around. <laughs> like no. you are getting blocked the hell out on the next shot and he's hitting it perfectly too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I had to chase, you know, chase the ball, uh, you know, around his wide stance uh, many, many <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, that was that was quite funny quite entertaining <laughs> the other guy uh, who was entertaining too was uh simon park uh, in those uh, mat park. yeah he, he'd please put on a bit of weight <laughs> well they just it's crazy though you know those guys sort of revert back to their their, their style like they're, they're almost like instinctive style of play which you know yeah. he was such a scrapper when he played, oh yeah unbelievably oh, fit like must have yeah. had a oversized heart or something because i mean the, the amount of you know punishment he would take on court and still he was almost like so agile too simon of, park he, he just the way he moved around that era or something yeah and it was, it was pretty and th those guys back then too were almost there were quite a few like mavericks at the time almost so they'd have sort of a cavalier approach to the game and do things a little bit differently or they're a bit more eccentric perhaps yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's great. Those old videos are awesome to watch because the game is played at, you know, a slightly slower speed and you can, un, you can sort of see the tactics of the rally developing a little bit more. Um, whereas the very, very top end of men's squash now is just so ridiculously fast that, yeah. you know, even for other pro players watching uh, guys like Greg, Muhammad, Tarek move into the front corners, you're thinking like, well, not really ever going to be able to move like that. So I can't try and copy what they're doing. <laughs> um, and some of it is really superhuman, I think, whereas some of that, the, the squash from me, maybe the nineties or the early two thousands, you're thinking, okay, I could maybe implement this in my game potentially. Right. So yeah. Great. Very entertaining to watch. Yeah. Now uh, I've had uh, David uh, Ballarjean on. I've had uh, Nick uh, Sackvi. Right. I've, I've also had Andrew uh, Schnell on, and each of uh, those guys have given me uh, a, a great Sean Delier story. Um, um, and, I, and I'm hoping you've you've got one as well, Mike. Uh, I, th I think it was uh, An Andrew told the one where he was eating all he ate was strawberries or something at at a at, a, at an event after oh, someone I had told. It, yeah. Someone had told them uh, about the medicinal uh, benefits of eating strawberries, so that's all he ate. <laughs> and uh, David told the story of when he didn't have enough uh, T-shirts in his kit, so David had to uh, give him the shirt off his back, and he was sitting in the, uh, in the gallery without a shirt on. Uh, that one, uh, uh, but uh, you know, if there's any, any you, do you have any off-color uh, daily air stories that you could uh, share with us? Well, I think, I mean, there are definitely some that are probably, uh, you know, not fit for uh, any public consumption, but uh, I think probably one of the, one of my better Sean memories, and uh, I know Nick tells the story a fair bit as well, but um, when we were uh, 
at the uh, at the world teams a couple years ago in uh, in France, the very final match of we were playing for 13th place against Wales, um, and you know it was in a pretty to be honest, grim setting at the squash club in Marseille. Nobody there watching, you know, really sort of <laughs> real rugged stuff. And I, I can't remember what had happened. Uh, Nick had lost at, to, at number one to Peter Creed. Uh, and then Sean was playing Amir Evans, who's sort of a young up-and-comer next. Yeah. And then the decider was going to be Andrew against Dave Haley if it made it that far. And so Sean went out there against Amir, you know, doing his usual thing. The first two games took about, you know, an hour probably um, <laughs> right, which right. is ridiculous yeah. and just Sean up to his you know usual tricks with uh you know when when he's on your team you love it and when you're on court with him you absolutely despise it so I kind of felt bad for Emir because he's a you know, young player and anyway Sean so it looked we were, Canada was looking good we were probably going to close that match out and then knew Andrew had a good chance um to 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 win the overall fixture at number three and but Sean came off after the the second game after going two love up and was, was basically saying he felt like he his wrist was broken or there was some ligament had you know complete some of these things gone terribly wrong with his right wrist and he said he <laughs> felt like he couldn't get out he couldn't even hit the ball so he went out there for the next two games and I mean swung 500 different ways with a million different grips on the racket trying to just find some way to be able to hit the ball to possibly survive because he had to finish the match if if if, if he defaulted or if we lost that match you know the fixture was over and Canada loses even though it was you know the 13-14 match or some you know trivial playoff and anyway he he came off before the fifth and we're sort of thinking, Oh, this is, this isn't looking great. I mean, he was barely able to compete in the third and fourth game. Um, maybe five minutes each they were. And going back on for the fifth, I, you know, we were just sort of saying like, look, Sean, you got to try something, man, unless you're going to seriously injure yourself for a long time. You got to dig deep here and, you know, do something for the, just, just try, be, be innovative, whatever you need to do. Yeah. And um, I think he ended up, we ended up like taping his hand to his racket or something ridiculous like that <laughs> so that he didn't have to be flexing his wrist in a certain way like yeah. he might do with a beginner. And he went back on and, you know, was down the entire game. Things were looking a little bit grim. And then towards the end, he just sort of found this like animalistic, I don't know, approach to, to the next 10 rallies. He went really primal and just would not let the ball bounce twice. And Emir had him all over the court, completely dominating every rally. He managed to get a few match balls for, for him and for Team Wales to win the whole fixture. And Sean somehow, despite not really being able to hit the ball in any way properly, was just getting it back on the front wall and then would get a stroke or Emir would hit a 10 or something, you know, some cheap way of winning the rally. And the, <laughs> right. you know, the tiny crowd that was assembled just couldn't believe his antics. You know, it's like every possible bit of gamesmanship, stalling tactics, cheap lets, <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to, you know, catch Emir with his swing, yeah, anything yeah. possible. And we were like, laughing but also kind of you know going cringing insane in the crowd because <laughs> of such drama yeah. and I think he saved maybe I want to say close to four or five match balls and eventually ended up winning that fifth game 16-14 on a stroke down the middle of the court and it was just the most like 
you know, against all odds, such adversity. He dug unbelievably deep for the team when we needed it. And I felt bad for his opponent, Emir, because he played his heart out as well for his country and just got completely outfoxed by, like, one of the most experienced guys in the world. A lot of the guys, all of you guys, I mean, you you speak so highly uh, of Sean as such a – he's the the consummate team, team player, isn't he? Oh, he really is. He get, I mean, he won, you know, that that was probably him not quite performing at his best, but finding a way to win. And it was incredible. But he's, you know, at the, the Pan Am Games in 2015 in Toronto, he um, won the deciding match in the team final against Mexico, beating Cesar Salazar, who was probably ranked at the time already 15 to 20 places higher than Sean and certainly favored to Mexico was favored to beat Canada. And Sean put, somehow like put together the match of his life yeah. And, you know, won the gold for Canada in front of thousands of people at the, the squash center that they had set up. I mean, that's like probably one of his best career wins. And you can just tell when he when you're in a team event and he starts to get his teeth stuck into a match, even <laughs> if the score is close or there's 100 lets per point or the outcome's unclear at the moment. You just know that in 45 minutes, like Sean will win the match 3-1. It might not be pretty the other guy might not want to shake his hand after, but you know, he's, he's notching up the win for Canada. So he's great to have on your team, but you really dread playing them yourself. That's awesome. Well, Mike, uh, uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, it's been great with your time today and um, I want to wish you all the best at the team trials coming up with the, you know, the new season, the PSA season coming up and uh, really great chat, uh, chatting with you. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I mean, you've had some some fantastic names on the pod. So I'm glad I can, uh, you know, can can add my name to that list. And, uh, you know, can't wait to listen to other episodes and new people you have on in the future. Thanks a lot, Mike. And maybe next time we can get you, you and Nick on together. Oh, that would be good. I mean, I don't know. We might charge a fee for that, though. There's a, a comedy network also wants us to do a, to yeah. do a, to do a two-man nope. show, so there might be some competition for that. But no I'll doubt, I'll put a bid in on it, and uh, we'll see how far it takes me. All right, I'll get Nick's agent to have a look at that and uh, let you know. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Mike. Take care, and uh, all the best, all right. mate. Thanks, Jerry. Well, thanks again to Mike for that, and uh, we want to wish him uh, all the best with the Canadian team trials for the World Team Championships, which are upcoming. Wish him all the best in that uh, that event. Uh, he was, as he mentioned, disappointed not having made the Pan Am Games team, so hopefully he can uh, make the team this time around. He's uh, out of the traps uh, quickly this season, so he's got a couple of, uh, a win under his belt and a final appearance. Uh, most recently, as we talked about uh, just a few uh, minutes ago there. And uh, also, the, the season's underway, and uh, Mohamed El-Sherbagi, Renim El-Walili uh, setting the tone early, uh, Nor uh, Al-Tayeb as well on the women's side, winning uh, an event there as well. I think it was in France where she won. Uh, Paul Cole also winning there. So a uh, few few players uh, making a statement early on. Rafael Candra, uh, a couple of... Uh, big wins in his uh, tournament in San Francisco. Uh, so looking good for a, um, a good season ahead uh, with the U.S. Open upcoming, and that should be exciting. Now in terms of um, this podcast, I've got two or three episodes in the works, so um, hopefully there won't be much of a delay uh, between this one and the next one, uh, not 18 days anyways. Back to uh, the usual routine. I'm going to try to get out 
uh, one a week. Uh, we've got Declan James hopefully coming up in a few days and a few others uh, I'm working on right now. I'm efforting a few other uh, guests uh, to come on over the next uh, week and a half or so. So we should be uh, in for some good podcast episodes. And uh, again, as always, I want to thank uh, everyone for listening and uh, enjoy your squash. I'll be playing again tomorrow. Uh, my injuries, my adductor injuries really uh, improved a lot. I started uh, incorporating a bit of a swimming routine into my training and uh, that's really helped. That's kind of uh, eased up on the uh, crazy circuit training, the Superman circuit training that I used to do. I used to do that almost every day and uh, you know I was getting quite sore just even before I entered the squash court I was always kind of achy so uh, with swimming, as most of you know, I mean, it's such a powerful, uh, dynamic uh, exercise, but it's so easy on the body. So uh, that's really helped me a lot. And the fitness hasn't suffered at all. In fact, I think I'm a little, you know, the cardio is a bit better now uh, with the swimming and the routine mixed a little bit with the, the old circuit training stuff. So uh, for me, uh, at my age, I think that's the, the routine I'm going to uh, sort of tweak around that and see what works best for me. But for right now, it seems to be working. So I recommend uh, maybe a bit of swimming for everybody. Uh, uh, it seems to be uh, helping me both cardio-wise and in terms of my body. So uh, that might bode well for me. I hope it bodes well for you uh, going forward. Good luck with your squash. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be talking to you very soon. Goodbye now. <laughs>